Hello, fellow nerds. Good evening, and welcome to San Jose's historic California theater. Tonight, we are very pleased to present the talk show live. Before we begin, please take a moment to set your Apple Watches to theater mode. Silence your iPhones and turn off any other electronic devices. And now, please join me in welcoming Mr. John Gruber. Hello, welcome. I am John Gruber. Uh, <laughs> uh, we have a great show. Uh, we have two first-time guests on the talk show. Um, but before I get to them, I have some very, very good people to thank. They are the sponsors who made all this possible. Um, first sponsor, great company, Max Stadium. Max Stadium provides enterprise class. <laughs> enterprise class hosting for Max. Uh, get your build server out of your office closet or wherever you have it hidden and put it in a world class data center. Max Stadium can securely handle it for you. Uh, thousands of companies all over the world trust Max Stadium. They have multiple ISO. 27,000 data centers, including a brand new one right here in Silicon Valley. I think it's in Sunnyvale. Uh, I don't know what ISO 27,000 certification is for a data center, but apparently it is an enormous pain in the ass and is very important. <laughs> and I think it means it's like really good. Uh, all size companies can host with them, though. You can be like, I don't know what ISO 27,000 is. I just want to put a Mac Mini in there and have my builds go to it. You can do that. They are, they're set up to scale from like a single iOS developer who just wants like one Mac Mini co-located to a company that really needs like a full cloud infrastructure. Uh, all of their clouds start with a 30-day free trial. I love this. I think this is probably why they're a successful company. 30-day free trial, fully production ready. It's not like you get like a play server for the free trial and then you have a real server. You get a 30-day free, free trial on a production server and then when you're like, okay, this is good, you flip the switch, you start paying and it, it, it's already there. Uh, couldn't be easier. So if you're ready for your own Mac private cloud, visit macstadium.com slash DF for Daring Fireball. Second sponsor, another great company, Instabug. Instabug provides comprehensive bug reporting. I wonder why they're advertising at WWDC. I don't know. <laughs> comprehensive bug reporting and in-app feedback in an SDK for mobile apps. Uh, tens of thousands of companies like Lyft, eBay, T-Mobile, and more rely on Instabug. With one line of code, you can in integrate their SDK in your app right now. And then once you do, what happens is your beta testers, when they're using a beta version of your app with Instabug, if they want to report a bug, they just shake the phone and they get this great interface where it takes a screenshot, it gives them um, 
It gives you, the developer, all of the information, the analytics. It gives you steps to reproduce, like how they got to where they are and are taking the bug. And then these bug reports, that's part of what Instabug offers. The other part is a great developer dashboard where these reports come in and you can see all the statistics and everything you want. They have a great trial system. Uh, which I went through, I mean, I don't have an app anymore, but I went through just to see how it worked, and it's fantastic. Uh, the developer dashboard thing, you just get these notifications. It, it couldn't be easier. Your whole team can share it. And they have integrations with all these great companies like Slack, Jira, GitHub. Um, so you can try it for free. It's one line of code. Here's the URL, try.instabug.com. So, Instead of www, it's try. Try.instabug.com slash df. And then you'll know he came from the show. And last but not least, they're offering $150 in credit to anybody who uses the code DF18. DF18, and you'll get 50 bucks preloaded on your account uh, after your free trial is over. Uh, last but not least is a fourth time sponsor of this show. Uh, it's a little company up in Redmond called Microsoft. <laughs> so any developer, this is what they believe. Microsoft believes any developer should be able to build, deploy, and scale without worrying about managing your services or the underlying infrastructure of your cloud and stuff like that. Um, uh, whether you're writing Objective-C or Swift, they've got what you need. They've got the SDKs, they hook up. And, and lots of applause for Microsoft. I think you guys know this, um, but like the old days where Microsoft had their own sort of developer ecosystem and everything was like Microsoft land. Uh, I mean, they still have Windows, they still have all of that, but they've really gone and embraced just about, if, if you develop anything, if you write code, Microsoft wants to be your friend. I mean, I don't know if you guys heard, they bought, speaking of GitHub, who we just mentioned, they just bought GitHub, which is probably, I mean, how many people here use GitHub? Yeah. Uh, but they really, they have your back. They, they know iOS developers, they know Mac developers, uh, and they really have all the things you could do. Here's some of the cool things you could do in the Microsoft Cloud. Uh, you can get your server, you can build your app in the cloud, you can test on real devices that they have hooked up in their infrastructure, distribute your betas, monitor your apps with crash reports and analytics. Um, for game developers, they have a complete backend platform for iOS games with analytics, uh, player management, uh, live ops, there's another one, I don't know what live ops are, but I guess if you're a game developer, that means something. Um, <laughs> Here's where you go to find out more. Really, this is great stuff. If you're an iOS developer, you really ought to check out what they have to offer. Here's their website, aka.ms. I guess they got the .ms for the uh, Microsoft. That's pretty cool. aka.ms <laughs> slash iOS and Azure. A-Z-U-R-E, Azure's their cloud infrastructure. So my thanks to Microsoft, my thanks to Instabug, my thanks to Mac Stadium. Uh, last but not least, hopefully you guys partook or are partaking in the open bar. Um, and uh, that open bar was provided by Setapp. Uh, Setapp gives users access to a curated selection of high-quality Mac apps from trusted developers, and it's just $9.99 per month. 
so go check out Setup. Uh, I think it's at setup.com. I didn't write down a URL. Uh, you'll find it. Google it. Just search, search the web for Setup, and you'll find it. Um, so my thanks to all of them. My thanks for you to being here. Uh, I think it's going to be a very interesting show. Uh, so without any further ado, I'd like to introduce my guests for the evening. Uh, first is Mike Rockwell, who is the VP of AR and VR engineering at Apple, and Greg Joswiak. Where are you sitting? I'm sitting here. I don't, told us to run out here. Yeah, it was the Craig <laughs> yeah. Federici School of, uh, of Entrances. We've known each other for a while. We've just met. Um, I don't think I've ever called you Greg before. Uh, no, only my <laughs> wife calls me Greg. <laughs> Everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you are, of the three of us, probably the lesser known entity up here. So I, I would really like to but start the with- the smartest guy. Well, <laughs> definitely not over on this end. <laughs> um, a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are. Um, so before Apple, you were the executive VP of research and development at Dolby. Yeah. And then prior to that, um, you were the CTO at Avid. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, <laughs> somebody remembers. But it's, but it's like a, <laughs> sort of a mix between um, a, a lot of audio in your background. Yeah. Audio and video and 3D. So at Avid, we, uh, we did all three. But I started in audio um, way back when. So uh, I'm actually a, a, an Apple nerd from very old days. So first computer was an Apple II and then had an original Mac. And uh, the first, the reason I got into software in the first place was I, uh, I was studying physics and music. So I was a musician, and I was incredibly frustrated by the applications that were out there. So uh, I started to pivot into engineering and write software for doing, for doing audio. And I went to a company called Digidesign, uh, which uh, builds a product called Pro Tools. And uh, while I was there, I did the, one of the very first um, host-based audio mixing and editing system. So we wrote it, uh, the mixing in PowerPC assembly language. This was a long time ago. <laughs> and uh, and it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun. But, uh, but yeah, it's been, a, been an interesting, interesting path to get here. Um, so there were a bunch of AR-related announcements at the keynote yesterday, um, all very interesting. I thought that it was kind of cool in a nerdy way, like you know you're at a developer conference when one of the major tentpole features is a new file format, <laughs> right? <laughs> with a very sexy name, right? Yeah, 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 or crack marketing but, helped us with that. WWDC is a little different than other keynotes because, yeah. you know, come September, there's prop there might be an event in September. You might know, I don't know, who knows? Sometimes in September there's events. <laughs> I don't take, I don't keep track of that stuff. And, and, <laughs> and every once in a while, there'll be a geeky section where it goes into like how the pixels are working on the new sensor on the camera or whatever. But yeah. it's still fundamentally about something that, that everybody cares about, which is having a good camera on your phone. Sure. A file format, you're at a developer conference. Yeah. 
but this seems like it's a really big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah. So you know, AR has been bouncing around universities for like over a decade, and um, and when we brought out AR Kit, we made it available to an incredibly large audience of developers and a larger audience of consumers. Um, but one of the things that has been a challenge is that in the 3D world there are a ton of different file formats, and compatibility is not great, and there really wasn't a format that was optimized for delivering AR experiences. So we wanted to create something that was really powerful, that was very efficient, that was easy to use, and then would get broad support. So we were trying to start something which would be like the PDF of AR, which is really what, uh, what we think USDZ can become. Is, is, am I right? Somebody told me, and I could do could have been misinformation. People lie to me all the time. That the Z in USDZ is for zip. It's like USD is universal scene description. Yes, the Z is for zipping it up for. Yeah, basically what it is is inside of a USDZ file, um, there's uh, there's mesh data and information, and then there are a bunch of of, uh, of textures that are in there for the meshes, um, and we have textures that allow you to do physically based rendering. So it gives you the ability to do very realistic um, looking 3D objects, as well as animation. So for those of you who've seen the demos, you've seen that they, they look fantastic. Like the koi fish you saw, you know, is, right. is just this spectacular animation uh, with really realistic looking objects. And so we wanted to have something that had that power, um, but was also going to be incredibly simple. I thought that Adobe and Pixar made for an interesting... So it's Apple, Adobe, and Pixar who sort of got together to do this. So it's not like a giant sprawling consortium of... Well, but USDZ, uh, USD is an open file format. Right. So Pixar originated it, right. um, but it is an open file format. So you can go and you can get the source, and the spec is completely open. This is not something that's closed, and USDZ is the same thing. So um, we worked closely with Pixar, um, and then Adobe also came uh, working with us earlier on. But we've also connected with all of the other large vendors for 3D tools, and because it's going to be by far the most broadly sort of supported format, um, what they're telling us is they're going to provide native uh, uh, support for it in their tools. So what other, like, what else is in a USD file? Well, so uh, as I said, it's, it's really the um, animation, meshes, the textures for those meshes, um, and then the textures can, uh, can include things um, like all of the textures you would need for doing physically based rendering. So, um, so that might include like ambient occlusion, where you've got areas where the object is occluding itself, um, or uh, being able to have uh, effectively the bump map or the normal map, so that you're able to render without requiring incredibly complex geometry. You're able to create the illusion of incredibly complex geometry and stuff that that looks very accurate to the scene. And then we take that and in the quick look viewer, um, we render it uh, with very high fidelity, and we use this new capability of ARKit 2 um, uh, called environment texturing, where it looks at what the camera is seeing, and it's building a texture reflection map in real time, and then it uses that to reflect on the object that you put in the scene. Right, because there was the... I think it was in the State of the Union where the demo showed yeah. like a silver... A silver globe. Right. Yeah. And the camera is pointing down on it. Yeah. But the lighting is from above, so it's out of frame. 
Yes, there's two parts to environment texturing. Uh, one is that it takes what it sees and creates the texture. But of course, that would leave something that has lots of holes in it. Right. So it, it has to fill it in with something. Otherwise, it would look really odd as the reflection. And so what we did is um, we actually went out and captured I don't know, something like 10,000 different spaces. We trained a neural network to look at what is in a scene and then hallucinate right. the rest of the... <laughs> of the uh, yeah, um, the rest of the, uh, of, of the reflection map so that it's plausible. So it's not perfect, but what happens is that the reflections are generally a little more diffused. It's not a perfect image. And so for most folks, it just it looks natural and it looks real. Uh, it, it was uncanny once it's explained in, in the demo, and it's like, oh my God, that stuff is all out of frame. And it's, there's something reflected there. That, that Yeah, and it just makes a huge difference. You know, we, we've been doing everything possible to make it incredibly easy for folks to make AR content that looks great. Yeah. Well, that render quality on ARKit 2 is amazing. I mean, one of our big challenges with the demo we did with LEGO was to make sure we had a good enough establishing shot from the camera of what the physical model was because once the augmented reality pieces came in, the digital pieces came in, it was impossible on screen to tell what was different, yeah. right? Which was real and which was was augmented is impossible. So we had to really establish that. I, I literally, I, you know, I was like right in the middle of the keynote, center stage, sort of back. I, I but my question was that, and I'm like standing up to see, is there a yeah. real Lego house on exactly. that table? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, because I couldn't see it from back here. And then I went to the hands-on area yeah. and I got to play with it and I still couldn't <laughs> see. Amazing, isn't it? Right. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. It's amazing considering that we just started shipping this this past fall and it's our third major release and it's gotten so good. Yeah. Uh, the Lego demo, I don't know if everybody, you know, how many people here are in the conference and got to play with it, but it's it's technically amazing. Like, it's not really a game that you would want to play. Like, it is a demo. Like, I could see how you could turn it into a game but it's sort of like, like... Well, you know, when we when we engaged with the LEGO team and brought them in and, and showed them ARKit 2 and they got very excited about what the possibility was, um, they had this idea for this play experience so that you could go in and you could have a couple of kids and they could play together and it would start from building mm. a physical LEGO motto, uh, model but they wanted to be able to recognize that model. So that is one of the other things that we did in ARKit 2 was added the ability to detect objects that you've trained on before. Um, and so they built one path through it for the demo of the show, but what they're going to do right. fully when they release it is it won't be just one path. You know, It'll have lots of different right. uh, experiences and your friend could bring over their model and those could be combined in a scene and uh, yeah, it's just gonna be tons of fun. The other thing I, I found when I was doing it myself with the Lego one in particular, so I'm holding an iPad mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh yeah, this is cool. And then like, it would be like, uh, I've got to move the fire truck to put the fire out. It's, mm -hmm. you know, and I would want to get into detail and I'd pinch the screen and nothing would happen. And I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and, and the, yeah, move with your feet, exactly. Apple, the Apple fellow who was there to, to guide me through the demo said, everybody does that. <laughs> well, old, old habit stuff. He's like, you get used, you get used. You, you do actually, and, and it becomes quite natural uh, to do that. And for certain kinds of things, it's, it's actually much more natural. When you think about manipulating 3D, having a sense of space, and particularly things that are at a, at a real world scale, 
it's really valuable to be able to move there because you get much more a sense of what the object is like in the real world. Um, so my next question is about AR persistence. Yes. Uh, explain this to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's when AR is trying really, really hard. No, uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, you know, we had to make up names for this stuff. So that's sort of what we came up with. Our, our marketing folks helped <laughs> us with that. Um, so, uh, so the basic idea is that you want to be able to have an AR experience and come back to it later and have it be the same place and share it with other people and maybe have multi-user experiences. So, um, so we use a technique where we map the environment and we create um, a, essentially a set of points that allow us to understand that environment and you're able to save it. And then you can use that map in a number of different ways. One would be to reload it on the same device, so you could come back. So let's say that you had created a, you know, an AR pin board in your, uh, in your home, or um, you had a game that you were playing and you wanted to come back to it. Um, but you can also share it with other people. And those can be asynchronous, so they could come see it later. You could leave a gift for somebody that's an AR gift and they could find it, you know, say on the kitchen table. Um, or they can be simultaneous where you share it in real time. You don't have to go up to the cloud to do that. You can share it peer to peer and that allows for multiple people to see the same coordinate system. But it's, it, in terms of sharing, it is something that you do like I can share with you. Yes. But I wouldn't be something that I would leave here and everybody who has the app. Well, you could. So you could, in fact, do that. So somebody who had an installation or they had something where they wanted to create an experience in an app where when you went there, it would localize to that particular position and give everybody the same experience. Could be in a museum, right. could be could be used. So you could create installed experiences. Could be in retail, could be in a museum, could be in, in other applications. So um, the idea is that it allows you to do, make AR experiences that, that, that transcend one session. All right, I, see now this is great because I've got a million dollar app idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tell me if this is possible. Oh, you're going to tell all these folks? I'm going to tell them. dollar app idea? Okay. Get no your ready. Just keep it secret. <laughs> it's, when the App Store first came out, there were a lot of fart apps that came out. <laughs> and now we're in the AR world. So when you sit on this chair, you want to... Oh, it's, my app is called Leave a Turd. Leave a Turd. <laughs> Free download. You can go to like a coffee shop and you can leave it and, and there will be and one. pay for the different shapes of Oh, there you what? go. See, oh, you okay. like me. <laughs> In-game purchase. There's one default turd that everybody gets for free <laughs> and everybody can see all of the turds. But you can uh, get, I, I can, uh, I can technology buy. Technology at its finest. I could buy like a Yankees turd or a Red, a Red Sox turd would be even better. Yeah. And I could leave a Red Sox turd. Bill and everybody in the app store, thank you, right? Yeah, right. Right now. <laughs> I'm telling you, we get the MLB guys involved in this, I'm telling you, it's a yeah. lot of money. <laughs> but you could, in theory, build something like that, like... Uh, yeah, or, you could. Or like a store. <laughs> if you wanted to. <laughs> Emphasis on you could. Yeah. Do you do, you do freelancing work? <laughs> Are you busy? <laughs> Not at all. All right. Um, 
But there's, there is, there's, there's a privacy, privacy implication to this too, though. But if you wanted to, you can, you can make an app, like you said, like a family pinboard or something sure, like that. Sure. And it would be in, invitation only. Like, I'm only going to invite my... Yeah, I mean, it... it so the interesting thing about these maps is that um, they don't contain any RGB data. So they're actually far less revealing than a photo would be right. of that particular environment. So we do, uh, just as apps have to have access to the camera for AR kit, you, you would need to do them for, for the maps. But you can't, um, you couldn't reconstruct an image. You could get a little bit of the geometry of the scene, but they're fairly sparse. Yeah. So there's not a lot of risk of, of privacy uh, around that. Um, but even with that, you know, we do, um, it, it's not something we're really worried about. All right, so I joke about fart apps, but there was a, an argument, and we talked about this briefly yesterday, but there was an argument when the App Store first came out of people who were dismissive of, well, it's just so small, and previous phones, there were apps for other phone platforms, and you know, in hindsight, nobody even really remembers. Um, and you know, the App Store opens, and, and developers had a couple of months, and they didn't know what the phone was good for, and they, they built some silly apps. Sure. But there was, you know, I, I think people in this room, not just us, but I think everybody here was excited and knew that this was going to be a, right. a serious thing. But I think with AR, I see some of that reaction from the skeptical crowd, which is, what is this, for games? Right. You know, and it is for games. Sure. And games, you know, big business. And it's, business, you know. Yeah, it drives me nuts a little bit because it shows a lack of vision. Right, because to your point, we got this in 2008. We got this even in 2009. Right. It's like, what are these apps? Right. What a waste of time. And it's and we knew we had something big. And this is the same thing with AR. This is this is a big deal. Yeah. This is really a big deal. And we're already seeing some really cool stuff. We're working with some developers. We know some really cool stuff working on. We can give you some examples of some cool things that we can talk about. Certainly, there's ones we can't. But you just need a teeny bit of vision here to see this is. This is a big deal. Yeah, we have to remember that uh, ARKit has been out for nine months, <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, I, I, it's always interesting to me to, to see folks saying, oh, it hasn't taken off yet. It's like, it's been three months. And as the folks in this room know, it takes right. a little more time than that to right. make great apps. Right. Um, and there have already been some fantastic apps made on ARKit. So, you know, we just had, we had an event in March around education, and there was one really fantastic app where they built a virtual frog dissection so that we weren't killing all those poor frogs when we were in junior high anymore. And in fact, it really worked. It was fantastic. And kids loved it. And uh, and it revealed so much more than you would get actually in the direct di dissection. Now you can bring a shared experience to that, right? So the whole class. Now we can all dissect frogs together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How cool is that? Um, but you think about that actually with a shared experience with a teacher who yeah. can now prepare a lesson and it can be shared and the teacher can be you know teaching you about biology or mathematics or history and it's something that everybody can have their perspective on and it can be something that's a group experience and um, so you look at that you look at in uh, in retail you know that was one of the early applications that folks have been doing work whether it's what Amazon is doing or what IKEA is doing or there's there's a whole range of folks where they don't have let's say the the real estate to put all you know to have all the inventory right. that they would want and now they're able to uh, to show that to folks and um, so you put it across every one of these, and we're just seeing the beginning of it, but, um, but it's, it is really 
going to be quite and, and there was an example uh, where somebody's there's a company that you guys are working with that's using it in like an industrial setting where oh yeah absolutely so um, with the same object detection right. that you know Lego's using to recognize the the little town there um, there's a, a big industrial company that uh, is building maintenance applications for large machines so you can recognize the machine you can be telling the the uh, maintenance personnel where the thing is that needs to be replaced, taking them through a procedure to do that, and um, one of the having X-ray vision, in yeah, yeah, X-ray vision into into what's there. You can see, you can see things. You can you actually can... see. Oh, okay. I, in order to do this particular maintenance operation, I need to remove this and replace this, and take them literally through it step by step. Something that might be in you know ten thousand pages of a printed manual, and you're you know on a flat page, you can't tell where everything is. Right, like right there on screen, it could pop up and say, I've identified this part, it's part number DL44. Exactly, and the number of mistakes that are made when people have to do this and right. go back to manuals is really high. Actually, NASA found that in the space station, mm -hmm. that um, that, a, that a, an astronaut would go back four or five times to, to re-verify that they had the right operator. Fascinating, so is it, it like a real psychological, like a cognitive, cognitive benefit to having? Yeah, it really reduces your cognitive load. Right. Um, so that, that leads me to my next topic. Um, which is, and, and something that I'm, I'm just lost on, is that clearly there's a, a very significant intersection between AR, and I, I, maybe it's because I'm a visual person. I get what AR is. Sure. It is I'm looking at reality, and right. it's augmented. Yeah. Um, where that intersects with machine learning. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, so machine learning is really about teaching machines to classify things generally today is one of the primary things and um, and understand from and be able to divide things up in large data sets. Um, AR uses machine learning quite a lot. So ARKit uses machine learning in that uh, the environment texturing that we talked about. Um, it uses it in detecting planes and extending those out. Um, it uses it in, uh, in being able to, uh, to fundamentally understand the environment in which it's operating. Um, but machine learning is also a separate thing that you can use in addition to ARKit. So uh, with CreateML and, um, and CoreML, um, we've provided a framework that allows you to take what's coming from the camera so in an ARKit session, the camera's also passed through to the application. And well, you can take those frames and you can create your own machine learned classifiers that might allow you to be specific to your app, recognize a particular object in a scene or recognize a particular scenario. Um, and, uh, and so they're completely complementary technologies. AR uses machine learning, uh, ARKit does, significantly all the way through it, um, but, uh, but it's something you can use to even augment ARKit. Whoops, uh, I don't know if you have to. All right, here's where I'm gonna try to get, here's where I'm gonna, well, try, to, I'm gonna try to get Jaws in a little trouble here. Okay. Oh, great, thank you. <laughs> all right, I get to watch. You guys have had a long-stated explanation when people ask about, hey, how come uh, MacBooks don't have touchscreens? Or how come the iMac doesn't have a touchscreen? Which is that, reaching out like this for a significant amount of time and poking at a screen is actually ergonomically uncomfortable. Correct. You know, we think the natural position when you're on a desktop is with your hands on a flat surface, and we think that when you're on a touch screen, it's like this. Yep. I'm on board with that. I think most people, probably a lot of people agree. 
But if this is bad for a touchscreen Mac, how is this good for AR? <laughs> like, <laughs> I thought he was going to get you in trouble. But it's different, right? I mean, this is not this. Well, Using this as my viewer, which is not very different than holding it in general. Well, have you guys investigated any other form factors? <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that's really cool about what we've done with ARKit <laughs> is hundreds and hundreds of millions of devices <laughs> that you have today in the form of iPhones and iPads work with AR. That's pretty frickin' cool. It is very cool. <laughs> I can think of some other things, though, too. You don't have to sell you on what's gonna happen some number of years from now. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. One last... <laughs> In a similar vein... Here, let me go back to, to my introduction card. It's like you're dealing poker here. I am. <laughs> Your title is VP of AR slash VR engineering at Apple. <laughs> Explain it's, that one. <laughs> it's right on the title. Oh man, we gotta change that title. <laughs> Where's VR kit? The VR, it's AR slash VR, but the VR is silent. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll go with that answer. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, just uh, all joking aside, so we are, uh, we are providing framework support and a lot of work um, with uh, other folks who are building VR headsets. So, um, you know, we've been doing a lot of work in the OS. Uh, our metal team have been doing a ton of work to improve the performance of metal. Uh, we added the eGPU support. So there's a lot of stuff that we're doing there um, that is uh, is really to enable higher performance graphics, um, which can you know can drive. Uh, you remember that Star Wars demo? Yeah. yeah. So so we're doing we're doing tons of work in that area, um, and and it's a lot with with partners. Yeah, there were no, there were a lot of cool demos at the iMac Pro um, yeah. event, and yeah. you know, and here we plug in an extra eGPU, and now look at you know how the yeah. If you if you came to if you went to State of the Union, you saw the performance that we're getting with the eGPUs is really pretty much scaling linearly for tons of applications. The the work the Metal team did is astounding at how efficiently we're able to use those eGPUs, and uh, it's it's actually it's amazing for doing if you're doing content creation for AR, so you might be using a, you know an Autodesk app or something you know from the Foundry. Um, having the ability to plug in an eGPU that is extremely powerful to your, to your MacBook Pro is fantastic because it gives you, you know, the, the portability and then also the ability to have, you know, performance that's, that's close to, to an iMac Pro for graphics at least. Um, and then the last part about AR VR, really near and dear to my heart, and it's why I'm so excited that Apple is so fully on board with this mm -hmm. because I think one of the things Apple has always been historically unique, I would just say uniquely in history of computing is that when a new interface or new, new paradigm comes along, 
it's Apple that gets it right first, right? The Mac wasn't the first graphical user interface. There were other things. That, the mouse was invented in 1968. I mean, and there were other windowing systems. But the Mac was the first one that was good, right? And there were touchscreens before the iPhone came sure. out. And they got all sorts of interactions wrong. And the iPhone got it right. It's, oh, it's all direct manipulation. And AR, VR, it's like, I'm sure... <laughs> I'm telling you this, but even from my perspective, it's mind-boggling how many human factors problems there are left to serve. And the one that made me think about it was in the March demo that you guys had. Yeah. And um, it was an HTC headset, and it was you know really interesting. But there was one app where when you're in the VR world and you look down, you don't have any legs. And it was... <laughs> It was weird. It and then there was another demo, and, and again, and this is me, you know, and you know this, because you've seen me at these readings. I go, I just, I'm not on script. I was supposed to be like playing music in this demo, and instead I'm like looking at my feet. <laughs> and then there was another demo where you looked down and there were legs and feet, and then I would like move my feet and they didn't move. They were just, and I was like, this is really, I don't want to have, I don't like it either way, you know, there's a, but there's like a, must be what, a hundred thousand little things like that that you guys must be thinking about. Well, the beauty of AR is you don't have that problem. Right. Your legs still move. <laughs> there are, there are a lot of, of tough technical challenges for sure in right. that space. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we've been working really hard to, um, to solve them in a way so that at each step, we make those really hard things easy for developers and for users. And so, you know, we're, uh, you see that with the pace that we've been on with ARKit 1 and 1.5 and 2. Um, we're taking those really hard problems and we're making them easy. And for us, it's really important. Like, there's a lot of stuff that, we have or in my team that we could just like throw out there. But doing that would confuse developers, make your lives a lot harder, would confuse users. And so it's important to take the time to really, really get them right before you make them. Well, important. and the, the new measure app in iOS 12 is a great example of that. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, there's there's a there's a you talk about machine learning. There's a lot of machine learning in that measure app right. to uh, to to really try to make something that seems like it should be easy, right. but from a technical standpoint, to do it right is is actually quite hard. Right. All right, moving on. Let's talk about some of the other stuff from the keynote yesterday. Yep. Um, I thought one of the most telling things was that. Um, when iOS 12 was introduced and Craig came out, the whole first segment of his thing was about uh, doubling down on performance. And the, the specific models of phones that he talked about were the oldest ones, the iPhone 5S and uh, iPhone 6, I think was used for like the, as like the benchmarks. And it's like, we've got all these great results on our other devices too, but we're really focused on this. Um, and reading between the lines, it's like, I, I can't help but think, that part of the emphasis on that, both both in putting the engineering behind it, but also making it a big part of the marketing message, is to counter this this popular notion that 
major iOS updates, when you put them on your older phone, makes it the phone slower deliberately because Apple wants you to go to the Apple store and fix it by buying a new iPhone. Which is about the craziest thinking in the world, right? We're right. going to give you a shitty experience so you go buy our new product. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I... <laughs> like... But, but to your point, I mean, there's been so much that people forgot about how great software updates are. And that was the first part of what Craig was reminding you. First of all, is that we got a 95% customer satisfaction with iOS 11. It's great, right? And we have delivered through the years amazing features from the App Store to iMessage to, you know, you saw the whole list. I wanted to repeat it. That software updates are super important. Now, what Craig talked about is things is one is making everything faster and more responsive right. and you got to remember you know we're supporting devices that were introduced in 2013 right. devices that are more recently introduced iPhone 10s are a lot faster than those just by the nature of how fast our chips have gotten we've got the fastest chips in the business I mean our chips this year you know are, or last year are faster than theirs this year well, what about this year <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to remind <laughs> Uh, of how great that is. And so what we wanted to also do is pay some special attention to the fact that some of these older devices under load is really what, that was a big part of that, right? It's like they test out of the, out of the labs just fine, but you realize that some people are heavier users than others, right? They're using more things in the background. They got more things loaded on the system. It's those folks, you know, that had experienced more of the slowdowns, if you will. And Craig was making a point of showing, look, we did a lot of engineering and a lot of testing. He talked about the stress rack to show that, you know, we're going to double the performance for those people with iOS 12. And iOS 12 supports the same set of devices that iOS 11 did, again, going all the way back to 2013, introduced all the way back to the 5S. And it, it's going to be a really great update for those people. Yeah. yeah, and actually, I mean, I'll just add a little bit around um, ARKit. You know, we, uh, it would be much easier for us to have ARKit only support like <laughs> iPhone 10s and newer, right? Because they are so much faster. But, um, but we wanted to have a platform that would have hundreds of millions of devices that could support AR um, from the initial release. And so I can tell you that my team, we have a lot of effort put in to optimizing for devices that go back multiple years. And I know Craig's team, you know, does as well. It's, it's, I've been in those meetings and there is, <laughs> it is so far from the truth that anybody would think that. Right. If we only wanted you to buy new hardware, we'd only have updates to support like 6% of our users, right. not, not, 80, <laughs> not 81. Well, the, the other crazy part of that, that, that theory that Apple wants your phone to be slower so you get a new phone, there's, I, I agree with you, like nobody would ever accuse a car maker of that. Like if you bought brand X of an automobile and it has a five-year warranty and five years and six months after you bought it, it falls apart, nobody would go, well, I'm gonna go buy another one from the same company. Exactly. You know, uh, Casey List isn't buying another BMW, you know? <laughs> But the other, the flip side of it is, like, I, I know Apple uh, engineers who work at Apple. I think there's some in the audience right now. Uh, 
I have never met anybody, and really WWDC attendees in general, like the whole point of being an Apple developer and writing for these platforms is that you care. You care about getting the UI right. You care about having an app that like is smaller to download. And like imagine like Jaws going into an engineer's office and saying, okay, here's your job. When iOS 12 comes oh, out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they would run me out of town. Right. You, you, would, you would not live the rest of that day. <laughs> um, privacy. That was another aspect of uh, the whole, whole message. You guys have been on it, though, for years. This isn't like a new... Way before it was popular. <laughs> it's very true, though, and the message has been very consistent. Uh, so there were two, two parts of it that really stood out to me. The one was, um, or the privacy aspect. The one was the new um, like reciprocal sharing in photos. So if I share some photos through iCloud photo sharing to you, uh, it only goes to you, and then you get the option of also sharing back to me, and it does some... It does it through messages. Right, and it, but it tries to be smart and yep. guesses. Oh, it looks like these two guys were in the California theater at the same time. All on device, yep. Right, all on device. All on device. And it will suggest to me some of the, you know, goofy stuff we were doing backstage or whatever <laughs> pictures we had. Uh, <laughs> it goes unsaid that the sharing with some of your competitors is not all on device. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a differentiator for us. I mean, right. we're, we're big for doing things on device. We've got chips, as we talked about, that are super fast. We have software teams that know how to do amazing things without having to resort to, you know, the cloud doing the heavy lifting. We've got devices that are capable of doing incredible amounts of heavy lifting. Yeah. Um, and then the other one, and it really is near and dear to my heart because, you know, I make my living on the web and selling sponsorships and advertising and stuff. And I've studiously stayed away from anything that involves tracking and user profiles and stuff like that. Um, whereas some other sites on the web haven't. And I thought that the new feature that was introduced in Safari where uh, Craig pointed out that, you know, hey, they've got these buttons where you, you know, click this button and it'll take you to Twitter or take you to LinkedIn or whatever, that all of these little buttons involve all this JavaScript that, that tracks you and creates these digital fingerprints. And to have a web browser that built in without any kind of extension or something like that is going to allow you to block that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we still believe in the ad model and for a right. website to be able to right. do, do the ads, but it's the cross-site tracking right. that's a problem, especially because people don't know. Right. People don't know. That's why that comment field's there. It's, it's there so that they can see you've been there, and then you went there, and then you went there, so they build a profile on you. And again, we allow that to happen if the user says right. allow, right? It's now it's just trying to make it so the user actually has a role in their deciding choice. what happens with their information. Well, I think the thing that is so telling, so typical people, 99% of people out there have no idea how it's happening. Exactly. But they know it's wrong. They know it's wrong when they searched for, you know, whatever brand of sneakers, yeah. and then for the next seven days, Everywhere they go on the web, no matter a totally different topic, totally different website, there's an ad for the thing they were just searching for. Yeah, they no. just know that that's weird. Yeah, no, these data companies end up building profiles and having your web browsing history, right. which I don't think most people even here are probably comfortable with. No. Um, group FaceTime. Finally, right? 
but pretty cool because people have been clamoring for it for, a, I don't know if you know this, but for a while. I've heard that. <laughs> and a group of people. Yeah. And it's pretty cool, though, that it went from, well, right, you can FaceTime between two, two people, and now you can FaceTime with up to 32 people. Yeah. Like, that is, wow. Like, explain to me how there's not, it's just not all crosstalk and... Uh, well, that's what we try to show in the demo, right? That it's smart enough to, to, to you know, we don't want 32 people. Miss Max, Miss Max, you know, they, yeah. you're going up on the screen at one time. It's a roster down below. The people who are active go in the bigger images. You get bigger as you speak, right? So it senses that. And then people on the roster, if they begin to speak, they go and replace somebody up top. So it's a nice system. It's, kind of, it's actually yeah, I mean, if you have well 32 done. people in a meeting, you're not all trying to talk. Well, maybe yeah. you are, but you, most of the time, you're not all you're trying to jump in and talk at That's exactly. Mar those are marketing meetings. So. Yeah. <laughs> and engineering. Yeah. So you, you might have two or three people who are interacting and other folks are, are watching or it could be somebody presenting to a larger group. And so there are those natural turn-taking things that happen with people. Right. And I, I, here's a question I know the answer to, but I think it's worth bringing up, is it's still end-to-end -end encrypted. Absolutely. Right. So even with 32 people in the chat, everything going up yep. and back is end-to-end -end encrypted, and Absolutely. the only people who have access to the audio and video are the 32 participants. That's right. That's fantastic. Uh, so do you guys use it internally? Like, do you, do, you, do you trust group FaceTime enough that you guys, act, you know? Sure. Yeah? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, well, it is in an encrypted. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember when, when, when iMessage first came out, um, or when it first came to the Mac, I think, because it was iOS only when it first debuted. Correct. Correct. And when it came to the Mac, I remember talking to someone at Apple, but they were like, you know, we use this internally all the time. And I'm, you know. Sure. And I, yeah. you know, I don't know if... I think you guys know Apple tends to be a little secretive, and I, I can't either confirm nor deny. <laughs> uh, but you guys trust it and use, you know, no. you use yeah. it for your own all the time. Absolutely, right. Um, all right, another big. I, I'm going to call these the attention-related features of iOS 12. Um, the do not disturb extensions or, or improvements. Um, I'm using it right now, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> You're on the beta. Right? Of course. Of course. Are you? Yes. Wow. Uh, would you be disappointed? I would be a little bit, but <laughs> <All right>. still. <laughs> uh, I literally integrated my calendar, so I pulled up Control Center. I said, do not disturb until I'm done with this event, which was on my... All right, let's do a quick poll. How many people in the audience have installed iOS 12 on their main iPhone? <laughs> this is our crowd. <laughs> It's, it's pretty solid it's, developer release. Yeah. Yeah. It actually does seem, I don't have it on my main phone yet, but it yeah. does seem yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Um, so there's do not disturb improvements mm -hmm. um, where you can set it, I, I'm gonna forget some of them. You can, you can set uh, geofence, so you can right. until I leave this location, you can set it for amount of time, you can say don't right. bother me for an hour. Right. You can say while well, it's integrated to the calendar, so it can say while well, I'm in this event. Right. Uh, of course, you can still toggle the whole thing on and off, and you have now a new bedtime one as well. Right. Uh, the group notifications. Um, yep. And the ability to instantly tune the notifications as well. Right. Which I think is really interesting. And, and like we were talking yesterday about how sometimes you'll sign up for like a news site or, or news app or something. And you'll get, you'll realize you're getting like, they're, they're telling you about things that I don't care about. Why are you sending me a notification for, you know, there's a new flavor of Crystal Pepsi or something like that. That's, <laughs> but 
but it uh, never, one extra annoying notification never quite seems like it's enough to justify okay. unlocking the phone, going into settings, finding the panel in the settings where the notifications are, scrolling down a list to the app, and then adjusting it. It never seems, it's like, ah, I'll do it next uh, I've, We've all been there. But if you could just yeah. poke at the notification and just say, yeah, no more. Yeah. Yeah. Or deliver quietly, which is what I've chosen on a bunch of those. I still want to see them when I go to notification right. center. I just don't need them to buzz my wrist or buzz right. my pocket. Right. Right. So the quietly feature is, it, it's the difference between the notifications on your lock screen and notification center. Correct. Right? I think that there's been some confusion over why the lock screen is not exactly the same as notification center. And I think this... It, it's, the not, it's the fact that it buzzes you. Right. Uh, and then the, the last part is the... Um, the uh, reminders of how much you're using... X, Y, and Z, mm -hmm. and the weekly reports that you can get about it, and the app limits that you can set. And, and for whatever reason, that seems to have popped up in just the world at large, you know, even outside the yeah. Apple universe, as a just sort of, uh, I don't really want to call it mindfulness, uh, just self-awareness of how much time you're spending on the phones. Like, is it a coincidence that it's coming out this year, or is this something you guys... Well, we, we, well for one, you know, we've been working on stuff like this since right. 2008 when the App Store came out, and we've continually added to it, including Do Not Disturb and having Do Not Disturb While Driving, by the way, which is a great feature. AAA is very happy with us on that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we really are. Uh, so this, this specific set of features, which is pretty comprehensive, the team's been working on this for over a year, hmm. right? This is not like a reaction to something happening right. in the last few months. This is something that's been worked on for a long time. Uh, and it is comprehensive, but also at the same time, when you go out and look at these things, I mean, Phil loves to say, hey, we have over a billion customers, and there's like a billion different opinions on how to do this. <laughs> uh, but what we knew had to be the right basis for this is the information, right? right? Letting people know how much they're using the different apps, different categories of apps, how many notifications you're getting, right. where those notifications are coming from, which ties into that notification tuning, right? It was one of those ones where I said, God, these guys send me a lot of notifications, and the next time they came up, I sent them to, you know, deliver quietly. Um, even how much you pick up the device. Right. Right? That's the one I'm afraid to find out. I'm <laughs> it's really, really interesting to see. And I think for 95% of people, that's... That's it, right? They're just going to want to see this information. Uh, you know, somebody told me the other day, it's kind of like calorie counting. If you count calories, you're mm -hmm. probably more likely to not consume too many. Right. And that's how this is. You give people the information. I think it helps them understand, okay, am I playing too much games? Am I on Instagram too much? Whatever it is, right? And they can help balance that. For people that are like the, hey, stop me before I kill again, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's where they can put a control on, right? They right. can put an allowance on to say, hey, remind me when I hit my right. limit that I wanted to impose upon myself. Right. And, then, and then there's the whole kid aspect, which is, you know, remember, this first part is just for everybody, right? It's for everybody. And then there's the kid aspect that is the same thing. The parents can see how are the kids actually using their devices. Because they don't know how they're using their own device, let alone the kids. Now, for the first time, they can see and they can have a conversation about it. And again, I think for 95% of parents, that's going to be where it's going to go. Yeah. And then again, when there is an issue, they have the ability to put a control in, put an allowance. And the kid even has the ability to say, hey, look, I finished my homework. Give me some more time. <laughs> right? So we built that in. Yeah. So it's, it's really cool. Obviously, we're going to keep working on this stuff, but we're pretty happy with where it's at.
a, a big applause line in the keynote, not quite as big as dark mode, but <laughs> maybe second, was the announcement that uh, CarPlay is expanding to allow third-party navigation apps. And I, I think part of the applause was based on just that that's a feature people wanted, but I also think part of it was that a lot of people might have assumed that that was, never, that was not going to happen. That you know, Apple Maps is the, the map system for CarPlay and that's it because that's what companies do. They promote their own Yeah, service. CarPlay isn't about trying to just lock in our stuff. It, right. We've had this on our list for a while. You know, as you know, we've got a lot of things on our list for a while. It, it takes time to get to them. And so we've been talking to the you know, folks at Waze and all that for a long time. There's no doubt there's a bunch of people want to use that. And right. we wanted to give it to them. And CarPlay is awesome. CarPlay, if you've read the news, I mean, it's all over the place. I mean, it's in, it's in millions of cars now. So it's, it's getting pervasive. Is it, was it, has it been frustrating for you guys? Because a lot of the stuff you guys do, I mean, famously Apple's thing is we do the whole kit. And that lets us... Do the, you know, the AR story is all about where we know the camera, we know the GPU, we've actually worked with the GPU team to get the GPUs right. that we need to do this. Um, but then with something like CarPlay, you can't do it all yourself, because... Well, AR, we can't do it ourselves. I mean, right. We're building AR kits right. so that you guys right. can go create this amazing stuff. We didn't go do a bunch of first-party apps. Well, but right? we, also, did, we did a, a game, which is pretty cool, as sample code. Right. right. Well, I'm just guessing that maybe the rollout of a lot of car companies to integrate CarPlay across their lines maybe didn't happen as fast as you'd hoped it did. But well, car guys move at a slightly different pace. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you guys could build your own car. <laughs> Put it on the list. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I can't wait to see the next card. <laughs> related notes. Here's a question I've been dying to ask. And uh, so in relation to uh, Apple's at its best when it's a platform. And, and the platform, you know, on iOS, you... you you know, in the same way that now you could use Waze instead of Apple Maps and CarPlay, you've long been able to, thanks to the App Store, you could take Apple Mail out of your dock on your phone and put the Gmail app in, or, um, you know, there's a bunch of great email apps in, in the App Store. Or you could take Safari out and put um, Firefox in your dock. Um, but the one thing that iOS doesn't have that the Mac has is um, a way to say, make my default email client some other app, or make my default browser another app. Is there? Is, is yeah, there's always a tension there as to, again, we want to offer a very, very integrated experience. You know that. And sometimes that's easier said than done to do what you're asking, right? To replace those and then find out that the experience breaks. And so, remember, we've got over a billion customers. They expect an easy-to-use device. They expect an experience that just works. And so we're, we're working hard to offer a very integrated experience. So that's not an iOS 12. <laughs> no. All right. Uh, <laughs> Next card. Next card. <laughs> there was a joker last year up in the balcony. I hope he's not here again. Uh, who, who shouted out at one point, like as we were getting to this point in the show where we're wrapping up, he just shouted out, when is Siri going to get good? 
And it was like, what are you, what? nobody's here to listen to you. Uh, uh, He's still here. Oh, God. We got to find this guy's name. He doesn't get a ticket next year. <laughs> I think uh, Anzarino, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... I, the, the Siri announcements yesterday sound great, and a lot of it is, okay, for the most part up until now, Siri has been, here's a list of things that we, Apple, have made Siri be able to do. And with the Siri shortcuts and being able to assign your own, you know, like the, the, the tile thing with I lost my, if I, you're always losing your key, I lost my keys, and then it, you know, beeps your tile or whatever. Yep, any app now can integrate. All right. Uh, that seems like a huge step forward and, and sort of a, a delivery on the promise of Siri that it would be a very personal technology. No, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it, you know, people sometimes lose sight of the fact that Siri's got over 500 million active users. I mean, it's far and away the most popular uh, personal system. And we talked about it, it's 10 billion right. requests every month. People are using it a ton. And certainly, again, there's things we want to do to, to make the experience even better. This was a big one. How do you have a, an app integration? And how do you do it in a way that's not just this, you know, we, we've had domain integration with SiriKit, uh, but how to do it in a way that's just not a ton of things that people aren't going to use, hmm. you know, that are prescriptive. And, you know, you know, it's like, so how do you have it so developers can figure out what are the meaningful things in our apps to allow it to be assigned, you know, and a customer to assign that and give it their, their phrase. And we think it's going to be, it's going to be a pretty good feature. Um, all right, last segment, Mac OS, near and dear to my heart, my favorite platform. Um, <laughs> Mac OS Mojave. And I know you guys love all of your children equally. <laughs> I think that's what Phil told me the one time. Uh, yeah. uh, Mac OS Mojave. How come the Mac get, now, uh, last few years, the Mac gets a name, Mac OS gets a name, and iOS is, just gets a number. What, what, I don't understand that. Wow. You, you, <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Do you not like numbers? I find that now that the numbers are getting so big, I, I'm losing track of them. All right, after 11 comes 12. <laughs> Do I have to keep going? <laughs> um. <laughs> The features that stuck out to me, the Finder got a lot of love. It and that's, did. you know, uh, and... Desktop and Finder. Uh, yeah, well, I... They're related, but yeah. similar but different. Right. Um, the, the Finder integrating... The, the thing on the right now, I forget what it's called, but it's like the new Get Info panel, but it's, it's integrated right in the window and has mm -hmm. all of this metadata. Yep. Um, and the action buttons at the bottom where you can customize them with scripts and automator actions and stuff like that. Like, if, if there was like a betting game on what technologies were gonna get mentioned in the keynote, I would've lost a lot of money betting against automator. <laughs> but I love it, I love it, but it just often, the, the, the automation stuff often doesn't get a lot of love in a keynote. Uh, and I thought that was great. It's, well, in, in Siri Shortcuts, it's its own form of automation. Right, well, yeah. Uh, I thought the new screenshot features were Super cool. They're all super cool. And almost like I, I went from, there was one of those features where I went from, these are super cool. This is going to, all these people are going to be amazed at these things that you, you could do if you knew the magic six finger, yeah. then hit space incantation. Uh, and now it's all just obvious. It's like, oh my God, why didn't we think, why didn't you guys think of that before? It was on the list. <laughs> it's on the list. 
Um, and you and like dark mode? Uh, dark mode is, is next on the list. The biggest applause line in the keynote by far. Right, and we were talking backstage that yeah. pro users have been. Yeah, we've had dark mode for a decade. All of our apps have been dark mode, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's fantastic actually. And for folks who spend a lot of time, you know, staring at their screen in dark rooms, like developers, um, <laughs> it's really great to have dark mode. That was that where you know part of the inspiration for the line we used, which was inspired by pros, but designed for everyone, because it was inspired by pros. Pros want their content to pop, they want everything else to recede, yet for the rest of us, and trust me, I'm no pro, it's really cool, right? <laughs> and I'm running dark mode just because it's cool. Right. <laughs> uh, and then my favorite feature, my single favorite announcement in the whole keynote, uh, fave icons in I knew browser. You, I knew you were going. <laughs> But now, I believe you said it was the only reason people were using competitive browsers other than Safari. This is true, and it was a real eye-opener to me. Like, I started writing about it, and it's, it's, it's often funny to me what I'll write about or, or mention in a podcast that gets my email, like, whoa, like, what happened? Did, did the counter in mail get reset? Like, it, it, I just got, like, a 1,000 emails. And the, the fave icon thing was... Tremendous, and I I just kept writing back to people, and they're like, "Yeah, oh, it's the only reason I use, you know, Chrome." Uh, I, I know you won't say it, but I'll say it. <laughs> uh, I've adopted the Craig pronunciation of Favicon. Yeah. <laughs> right. <that's... laughs> so we need another poll. Is it Favicon or Favicon? We'll do we'll do an applause. Favicon. No, no. Favicon. Favicon. Right. Favicon? I don't like it. <laughs> but I pronounce everything wrong, so <laughs> it probably is Favicon. Uh, but that was cool. And that's in iOS 2. It was part of the Mac yep. uh, segment of the keynote. Right. But that's now an option in iOS. Right, right. Well, that's, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Mac App Store... Uh, you know, it, it more or less got what the iOS App Store got last year. Uh, yeah, we put the focus last year on the iOS App Store. It's turned out pretty well. I right. mean, you saw our numbers. I mean, the, the amount of people reading today tab is blow away. And you right. saw we're getting 500 million, you know, users a week, which is, it's just think about that. 500 million users are going to the App Store every week. So this year, you it's like... count that up. Yeah. <laughs> this, <laughs> he said that, not me. Uh, <laughs> This year, it's putting the attention on the Mac App Store, and I think it's really a nice redesign. Well, and one of the things, uh, my friend Coy Vin wrote a blog post a week or two ago just pointing out um, how many custom illustrations are being clearly being commissioned by the App Store teams to illustrate the articles that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, maybe you don't think about it, you know, him saying to his, his readers, maybe you don't think about it, but most places would just use clip art, you know, that it's, it's and, and being an illustrator has gotten hard. And like the print industry, like a lot of, you know, a, a lot of sites that previously commissioned a lot of artwork don't have the money for it anymore, you know, and, and there's the, crazy it's mind-boggling but like the remember a couple years ago the Chicago Sun Times fired all of their staff photographers yep. and just gave the reporters uh, you know just said use your, use your phone and I think they said iPhone but. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but there's a difference between a you know a reporter even with a great 
camera phone, like an iPhone, um, <laughs> is still not a professional photographer in the same way that a, a professional photographer, given a great word processor, is not a reporter, sure. right? It's just crazy. But the App Store, it really is, I don't, it, it, and it's, you know, it's a typical Apple way where it, there's not like bylines and people aren't getting credit. It's just Apple, the App Store is publishing this. But there's fresh editorial content with illustrations and photographs and movie, you know, animations. Serious we, editorial team that works. Right. They do a great job. And that's why people are coming back and reading that Today tab every time. But at the same time, we didn't want to just take the Mac App Store and say it's a clone of the iOS. Right. Store. It wouldn't make sense. We needed a great Mac App Store, made it a Discover tab instead of a Today tab. Right. You know, it's a different experience designed to be for a Mac user. Well, and the other thing, too, and I thought it was a really interesting announcement was when there was announcement of companies that are, um, uh, you know, fully supporting the Mac App Store. Uh, and it was Adobe with the Creative Cloud, which is, you know, Adobe's main pro tool subscription thing. I mean, it's a big part of Adobe. I mean, it's not like a little side project. This is a big deal. Microsoft Office 365, of, you know, the, probably the first thing people think of when they think of what apps do you use for Microsoft. Um, Big companies, and then the next two. I just loved the the the. You know, here's two of our biggest app partners, and then Barebone Software and and Panic with uh, Coda, and they got pretty good applause in the, yeah, in, in the, the hall. developer. Yeah. I, I but that was one of my all-time favorite slides in WWD's history. Adobe, Microsoft, Barebones, where I used to work, and <laughs> Panic. And it's like, what a great set of four apps. But part of the backstory with including Barebones and Panic is that, at least in the developer community, um, people know that BBEdit was in the App Store and then it wasn't. And Coda was in the App Store and then it wasn't. And it wasn't, you know, angry or mean-spirited or acrimonious. It was running into limits with sandboxing, to make a long story short, mm -hmm. that were incompatible with what these serious pro apps wanted to be able to do with the computer. And the, the backstory behind this is that it's not just that the Mac App Store has gotten a visual refresh. It's that people at Apple have spent a lot of time recently talking to Mac developers and saying, how do we make the Mac App Store and sandboxing work for you? All we want to do is protect users' data. You guys do too, right? Right. It, it's, it's not just a visual refresh. It's a lot of technical Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. We're glad to have these guys back, by the way. Yeah. Well, it's, I, it was really great news. Last card. Uh-oh, the infamous last card. All right. Uh, UI kit on the Mac. Yep. An unusual announcement. Uh, Apple doesn't often announce things a year in advance. <laughs> but I kind of get why you did it, because you, you're uh, eating your own cooking by using this to make at least four of the apps that correct, are sh correct. shipping on, yep. on uh, Mojave. The, let me see if I can remember them. Uh, stocks. News, home, voice memos, voice recorder, voice memo. Right. Um, which I, you know, I, I think is the way to do it. And I think, you know, not to get mean, but I think there have been times in the past where there have been APIs where I talk to my developer friends, and like maybe a couple years ago, 
core data and iCloud was sort of a pain point. And it turned out like Apple stuff wasn't really using the same stuff. You know, it's like when Apple uses the stuff and then they're like, we've polished it to the point where now we can share it with you, it seems like they're better APIs. Yeah, there's no doubt this is eating our own dog food. Right. And we do want to get the APIs right, because as you know, if you change them later, things break. And and once you create APIs, you're you're wed to them. I mean it's 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 a very long commitment around these APIs. So we want to get it right. Um, and so we're going to try to get this one right. Because if we do it right, it's going to be a big deal for bringing software over to the Mac. So how come this system doesn't have a name? <laughs> it was called Sneak Peek. <laughs> well, here, and here's where it, I, ran it, I ran into it today because I linked to an article about it. Uh, Lauren Good at Wired had an interview with uh, Craig yep. and got a, really not much detail. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Craig. <laughs> uh, but in, in my system, it, it, when I posted during Fireball, I tag articles. And I didn't know what to tag it with because I don't know what to call it. Sneak. <laughs> <laughs> So Craig emphasized on stage um, vehemently that this is not a replacement for AppKit. This is a new thing. We have, you know, unifying these underlying layers between the systems, and it's a new thing, and we, you know... Yeah, it's bringing over key frameworks to enable this. But there's a lot of people out there, it doesn't matter what you say, they think that's, this is, no, that AppKit's going Did away. Did you not see the letters that were about 65 <laughs> feet tall? But it's, and, like with any, it's like with any conspiracy theory, though. The more dispositive <laughs> the evidence is, they're like, well, that's, of course they're going to say. Next year we'll get a bigger screen, but you had 85-foot letters. Isn't right. <laughs> um, it occurs to me, I, I mean, I'd see if you agree, but uh, I don't think, from what I've seen so far, I don't think that this is a replacement for AppKit, and, and not meaning AppKit's going, I know it, 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 it's staying, but even for most Mac developers, I think most Mac apps, as we know them, are still better served in, in AppKit, but that there's certain apps that just weren't getting written in exactly the first right. place. Just like there's, there's web apps, there's WebKit apps, you know, right. that are today, and there's metal apps. There's lots of things that are designed to go around different places, and there's going to be Mac applications that, you know, are going to use all the traditional APIs that they have. But there's a lot of apps in iOS. Right. As Craig said, there's millions of them. And there's, a, you know, and not all of them are going to be great Mac apps, but there's going to be a lot of them that could be great Mac apps. If we do our job right, it shouldn't be a ton of work uh, for that to happen. All of our development's done on the Mac to start with. Right. So it's an opportunity staring developers in the face to say, hopefully not a whole lot of work for if you have an app that's appropriate to the Mac, open up the new, you know, additional revenue for very little work. It's a nice ROI. They win, our, our customers win, every, everybody's happy. Yeah, like, so I'm, you know, like, uh, Electron is one of those things where you can take a web app and you, you just shove, like, a whole web browser into each and every application and yeah. every single thing it opens up opens up a new instance of it and it's... It, yeah, I'd rather have the iOS experience than... Right, like, so if there's a company that has an... A, good iOS app, and they have a web app, it seems like there's a lot of them uh, in the past that when they were like, well, let's get something on the desktop on the Mac, mm. they bundle up the web app and squeeze it into yeah. a thing. If, if they're not going to write a proper Mac app, like an app kit, and go the full way, taking the iOS app 
and Macifying it is way better and way, lighter. And remember, at the end of the day, you're getting a Mac app. Yeah. Right. Those are Mac right. apps, right? right? They're not iOS apps that are right. somehow emulated right. or run in some crazy mode. They end up being Mac apps. Right. File edit. Exactly. You know, everything. Everything's up there in the menu bar. I think it's really great. I think it was pretty cool, and I think people. Yeah, we're excited about it. Yeah. Um, that is about it for me. Do you guys have anything else you wanted to talk about? I have some thank yous to give. Um, I thank you both for coming. So let me thank you guys first. Mike and Jaws, thank you for coming. Uh, I want to thank the staff and crew here at the California Theater. These people are very nice. Uh, and they do a terrific, terrific professional job. Uh, it's really, really just a great place to hold an event. I, I cannot thank them enough. I remember when we did an iPod event here many, many years ago. We had you two play here. Yeah, yeah. I think it was 2004. I don't I remember. I do remember the event and the reason. The it, I remember thinking, "Wow, this place is beautiful." And then remember the hands-on area yeah, was absolutely not not a little crunch. <laughs> it was like the size of a band. Yeah, <laughs> and it had very low ceilings. Yeah, so it was, that was a very hot area. I think that was the only event we had done here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to thank Tito. Tito is ti.to. That's the ticketing service that everybody here used to get their tickets. Uh, I honestly don't know what I would do without it. It makes something that it, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. I don't know. I'd probably just uh, not let people come into the show. Uh, <laughs> but I think my friend Paul Campbell, who runs Tito, is here. I thank you. Uh, if you ever hold any kind of event and you need to sell tickets, I'm telling you, go to Tito. It's so great. I want to thank our sponsors, uh, Instabug. Mac Stadium and Microsoft. Seriously, would not have this event without some sponsors. Um, uh, I have a couple of friends here who've been helping out all day. Marco Arment is up there running the audio, uh, live audio stream. Uh, Jake Schumacher, who you guys know from the documentary, uh, the, the app documentary, um, has been shooting the video for these live shows of mine. Uh, I've told the story before, but he came in to do an interview with me for this documentary he's making and uh, was in town for WWDC, and it's like three in the afternoon, and I said, well, all right, I'll do it, but hey, why don't you shoot my show? <laughs> And now he shoots the show, and it gets better and better every year. The show looks so great. Uh, and he's set up a live, uh, live streaming over YouTube, so I don't know how many people are watching it on that, but there's uh, possibly more people than are even in this room who are watching. That's all thanks to Jake. Uh, Caleb Sexton. My friend Caleb Sexton edits the show, the audio, every week. Uh, he is here to make sure we sound good. Um, and that the show actually gets recorded. <laughs> so I thank Caleb. Uh, Paul Kafasis has been the announcer, I think, also as long as I've been doing the show, and he does a bang-up job announcing. I don't know if you've seen him this week. He's, he had a, a little bit of an ankle injury. He's, he's sort of got like a peg leg thing. It's, it's easily could have punted on WWDC this year, but he came, and he, he won't tell me this, but I can, I can see it in his eyes that he came just just to do the announcing for this show. Uh, 
And then last but not least, I need to thank my wife, Amy. Uh, I, I really don't know how I would do this show without her. Um, she handles about 300 issues that all pop up between 5.45 <laughs> and 7 o'clock. And she'll come by and, and <laughs> she'll start to explain it to me. And she'll look at me and I'm there, you know, going through my cards, like, you know. And she'll start to explain, and she, she, I, I got it. And then she just goes and takes care of it. But seriously, so many little goofy things with seating and stuff go wrong. I really don't know what I would do without her. Uh, so my thanks to Amy. And my sincerest thanks to all of you. Everybody in this room, everybody watching on the video stream. It is an enormous privilege to have so many people come here and to be so excited to see this show every year. It still boggles my mind. Uh, and every time we have this event, the event staff always says, you, these are the nicest people. Uh, except for that one guy. <laughs> <laughs> but other than him, Everybody always says, my God, these people are so nice and orderly. They don't leave trash behind. Uh, I thank you for coming. Uh, hopefully, I will see you next year. Uh, and that's it. Awesome. Thank you. That was great.